Remember at the beginning I mentioned that next Sunday is the Sunday of Advent, a season in which we wait. Here's the thing, that if you seek to live as a Christian, you are always going to experience time differently than the world. If you really try to live your life as a follower of Jesus, there will always be this sense in which you feel out of place with the way that the world deals with time. The reason for this is when you, when you live as a Christian, your, your life alternates between seasons of waiting, profound waiting for God to show up in some way, and then seasons of receiving what you've been waiting for, prayerfully. There's one sense in which we're not going to receive everything we're waiting for until the end. <laughs> but even in the midst of life, God sometimes does meet us exactly where we've been longing and waiting. And we do experience seasons of satisfaction and joy in that. However, we often enter again into a season of waiting even after that receiving. And so, life as a Christian is this alternating sense of waiting for God to do something and then seeing Him show up and waiting again. But the world, meanwhile, tries to distract us perpetually with false satisfaction and false fulfillment. It tries to give us a sense that we don't need anything except for purging ourselves on the constant purchasing of the materials of the one season to the next. So we just had Halloween. Hopefully you spent a lot of money on that. You're moving into Thanksgiving. Hopefully you're spending a lot of money on that. And then there's going to be Christmas. And hopefully you're going to spend even more money on that. And then there's going to be the Super Bowl, or New Year's, wait, and then the Super Bowl. We go from one shallow consumerist festival to the next, distracted just enough to keep our deeper longings at bay. If you want to live as a Christian, you're going to experience time differently than the world. So we're on the cusp of one of our seasons of waiting, which we remember Israel's lengthy waiting, lengthy waiting, and that we are waiting. But today, we remember that Christ is King. That the Lord who came to us as an infant and died for us as a criminal, that He has become King, He is King, and He will forever be King. This is who He is. Now, I'd like you, if you um, to take your worship guide. You have no excuse not to open to the Scriptures today. You, you have your worship guide. We are going to use Psalm 46 as our main Scripture this morning. So, since the coming of Jesus... The church has always understood the Psalms to be Jesus' prayers. There are prayers because of Jesus, but first and foremost, they are Jesus' prayers. And I'm going to read the Psalm and walk through the Psalm with us in this light, and this is Jesus' prayer. Jesus, if you're a Christian, he has become your brother. He has become your brother. And as our brother, Jesus declares that God is our refuge and strength. That He is our very present help in time of trouble. And Jesus is inviting us to join Him by making God our own refuge and strength. To trust that God is presence. This defines Him. He is always present. 
to those who seek Him. And as such, we will not fear, though the earth be moved and though the hills be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters rage and swell and the mountains shake at its tempest. You see, this is an apocalyptic, end-of-the-world type of language. It's a kind of language that the Bible often uses to describe events that are shaking us to the core of our being. It feels as if the world is coming apart at the seams. Have you guys ever seen the world in that way? This language is describing the chaos that can envelop us and the world itself and tempt us toward fear and despair. Now Jesus, as much as anyone, faced this kind of moment in His life. And this is what our Gospel describes. The world that was created through him. Did you hear what Scott was reading from Colossians? The world that was created through Jesus. The world that Jesus loved and came to turned against him to destroy him. Now think about this. What happens when the created moves to destroy its creator? What does that do to the thing that's been created? when it seeks to destroy its Creator? Can it result in anything except its own destruction? In our Gospel scene, there are all these questions that surround the moment of Jesus' crucifixion. Who's in charge? Who is really the King? Did you notice how many times Jesus' kingship is called into question? It's four times in eight verses. Rulers, so, so there's the question, who's really ruling? <laughs> it says rulers scoff at Jesus saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God. And every time you hear Messiah, hear King. God's King. Soldiers mock him and say, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there's a sign above his head that reads, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals, too, says, are you not the Christ, the king? Save yourself and us. Boy, it sure does not look like Jesus is in charge in this moment. It doesn't look like he's the king. But there's something else going on here. From the beginning of his ministry, many of you know that Jesus has been tempted and challenged to prove himself as king. First, it was the devil himself. Do you remember? If you are the Son of God, the king, command the stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down off this ledge. Force the angels to rescue you. They said they would. Jesus, at that moment, early in his ministry, sought refuge in God. God became his very present help in trouble. The angels came and ministered to him after his resistance to the evil one. He did not give in to false paths of being the king. And now at this point of his death, he's still being tempted to behave in ways that humans think God should behave. 
Now, I, I hope you'll take note for yourself. It is a timeless temptation for humans to tell God what He should do and to base our faith on whether He does it. But notice that Jesus says nothing. Perhaps arguing doesn't always help, even if we are in the right. (laughs) Sometimes to do right, we actually have to endure wrong. Jesus made God his refuge. He did not fear even though the earth gave way around him. Back to our psalm, verse 4. I know that you don't have it numbered in your worship guide, but the sections of not bold than bold, that's a verse. And so, verse 4, Jesus knew that there is a river that makes glad the city of God. And he knew that God was in the midst of her and that God would help her at the break of day. Remember, we're reading this as Jesus' psalm and as the church's psalm. God did help her at the break of day. At the break of day, Christ the King was raised from the dead and God gained the eternal victory over evil and death. Every break of day since then has become a new day, a day in which God's mercies are new to people who will trust in Him and call on Him. You know, the river, what could that river be? That river that makes glad the city of God? That river is the Holy Spirit that God has poured down on His people and on His church. Jesus knew that the Holy Spirit would come. He knew that He would be raised from death, that He would not be taken down to death forever, that God would not abandon His soul to Sheol. And that city that that, the river makes glad, perhaps it is Jerusalem, But it is not only Jerusalem, it is also the church. The Holy Spirit makes glad the church. The Holy Spirit fills the church with Himself and empowers the church to receive joy even in the midst of trial and difficulty in every adversity. Next, we're told that the nations are still in an uproar and the kingdoms are moved, but God has lifted His voice and the earth will melt away. Again, it's apocalyptic language, end-of-the-world kinds of language. The world as it is will not last forever. Evil will melt away. It will recede. God will make all things completely new. And the refrain through the psalm comes to us again. Our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, says, He's with us. He is our refuge. Come and behold the works of the Lord, he says. He's exhorting you. Can you you hear Jesus calling to you? Come and behold the works of the Lord. Make Him your refuge. He, He is strong for you. He is your strength. And then we're told that He makes wars to cease in all the world. Again, you know, the psalm is Jesus' prayer and the prayer of the church. So, What wars has God caused to cease? We would love Him to make the war in Ukraine to cease. God has caused literal wars to cease throughout history. Of course, 
We pray that He will cause more to cease. But what about the spiritual wars that God has caused to cease throughout the world? Christ came to war against sin and human beings and to defeat sin within the, the life of human beings. And within human beings throughout history, you might say, oh, that's a small thing, Pastor. What about these grand wars? I don't think it's a small thing that Christ comes to individuals and conquers their sin. That Christ can come and take away your sin? Could that really be a small thing? He makes wars to cease within the lives of people. And He also came to break down the dividing wall of hostility between people, between Jews and Gentiles, to make one new man, one new nation. No one has a claim to being the only nation in the world and the most superior nation in the world. Christ came to make one people, people who are devoted to Him. And then we're told that he breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots in fire. You know, to make God our true refuge, to make God our true refuge, we have to remember that the weapons of our warfare for Christians are not those of the flesh. But they have divine power to destroy strongholds that build themselves up against God. You see, Christ gives to his church the power of the Holy Spirit, which is stronger than every, any weapon that man has made. And while it may seem that the weapons that humans make are superior today, let's take the long view. Will the weapons that men make last forever? They will not. Christ will break down every stronghold and every weapon that exalts itself against Him. There's a church father who said that if we forget our faith, our heart becomes like a battered boat tossed about in this stormy world because Christ seems to be asleep. But when He awakes, when we take refuge in Him, there is calm. And so we're exhorted. Christ, our brother, is exhorting us. Be still and know that He is God. That He is God. He also says, this church father, you aspire to be powerful in yourself, but God has made you weak in order to make you strong with His strength because your own strength is nothing but weakness. Are you making God your refuge? Are you trusting in Him that He is present to you and wishes to be your strength? in your greatest weakness. You know, at the end of our gospel scene, after all these people have asked if Jesus is really king, there is one humble man who says only, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus says to that man, today you will be with me in paradise. Presence presence. This is who God is. He desires to be near to you, and if you're willing, He will be near to you. Are you willing? Are you willing to make God your refuge and strength? The way to do that constantly, over and over again, 
is to confess your weakness and your need for Him to be your strength. So whether you're a Christian or not, God wishes to be near you. Will you confess your weakness and your need for Him to be strong for you? Amen.